And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. It is Monday, December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day, right? No, Pearl Harbor, yeah. I always, I don't, I don't know why I always get that mixed up with the 6th or the 7th. But it was the 7th, December 7th, 1941. Uh, a, a happier anniversary is uh, 41 years for uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture. So I guess that's that's a better, well, a more positive anniversary in terms of genre. What? Me, in what movie? We're not in that movie. No, I'm not going to tell that story. If you want to tell that story, you can tell that story on your own. I'm not going to tell that story. I already feel old enough this morning. This afternoon. It is afternoon, right? Yeah. Welcome, everyone. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. And... Going into this, I will say I am tired. I had a I had a rough weekend. Um, not because of anything that happened. It's not any kind of an emotional thing or anything like that. But uh, I had uh, day job stuff that is rather physically taxing. So I'm recovering from that. So if I'm off my game just a little bit, I will use that as an excuse. Um. But I shouldn't be off my game too much. I mean, I've been doing this media thing for 32 years now, so I should kind of know what I'm doing so far, sort of. Uh, okay, so over the weekend, the Comic-Con experience in Sao Paulo, Brazil, took place, and there was a six-hour panel for Warner Brothers, and I am I have yet to find any kind of news that Sony did anything. I, I was I was thinking that they were going to show up, uh, but the news out of CCXP has been rather sparse this year. And so, what I want to get into today is just talking a little bit about what we actually did get, and the overall implications because we've talked a little bit we talked with Mark Walters here not too long ago with the he was a, a formerly of the Dallas Comic-Con now he's got the Dallas Comic Show and other things and we were talking about the effect that the pandemic and the and the quarantine and all this other mess has had and will continue to have on uh live events and seeing how things have played out this year with now CCXP, but also San Diego 
and you know Star Wars Celebration gets canceled, Star Trek in Las Vegas gets canceled, all of these different events going away, and a number of them going virtual, making some kind of an attempt, let's say, at virtual events, and not really doing that well with them, uh, it raises the question of whether or not the big Comic-Cons are over and done with. Is their time passed? And so that's the question we're going to look at just a little bit today. I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on it. We did get some stuff. I mean, we got the, Wonder, the new Wonder Woman TV spot, and we got a couple of seconds from Godzilla versus Kong, which is really not anything. We see Godzilla underwater, and we see Godzilla yelling, and apparently he's got a collar around his his neck uh but there's really nothing uh no context for any of this we don't know what it's from they're not it's clearly the these shots are not from the same scene uh so there are rumors uh there's some speculation that uh that mecha godzilla might show up in this thing somehow but we don't have anything concrete we don't have anything substantial to go off of with any of this. And so we're left wondering where everything is going. I mean, we've got some photographs from Suicide Squad. We see uh, we see Idris Elba's costume. Uh, we found out that John Cena had, uh, what, three dozen empanadas shooting one scene to get that right. Now that tells me either... Either John Cena as an actor couldn't get it, couldn't get, couldn't, couldn't deliver the goods when it comes to this is the scene I want, says James Gunn, or James Gunn didn't know what he wanted, or they just, they shot what they needed and then improvised a bunch of others just to see, okay, well, what would be a better take? Maybe that third option is is in play here. I don't know. But I don't know that I would sit and eat 30-plus empanadas just for one scene. It just strikes me as a little bit overkill. But you also have to remember, those of you who don't know, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, Nicholas Meyer talks on his director's commentary track. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene when... When Kirk and company first encounter Khan, and they're doing the the whole, you know, we're searching for the data in our computers, you know, it's coming through now, Khan, and all of that. When he says, uh, get ready, here it comes, they're going to transmit the, the prefix code to lower Reliant Shields, and Kirk says, get ready, here it comes. Nicholas Meyer said they had to shoot that some 72 times because Shatner kept telegraphing. Here it comes. You know, that kind of that kind of delivery. And he said he finally had to get to the point where Shatner was bored with it enough that he just delivered it flat. So it is possible that you just don't get the right take. You just don't get the right performance. Until it gets old, until it becomes just a thing. That has happened before. There's precedent for that. But uh, there's also uh, there's also the possibility that it could just be maybe we do a bunch of them for the gag reel. I don't know. I don't know. I'm To be honest, I'm not that curious about it. Uh, 
uh, in terms of the, the Suicide Squad, I haven't seen anything really that makes me want to see this movie. But we haven't, we haven't seen the movie. All right, I am getting a red light here. Uh, hello, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat. I'm getting a red light here that tells me that our streams are not performing up to snuff. So if any of you are out there watching, if you, if you see us buffering at all, if you want to give me a heads up, just let me know. I will take a look because I think I might have to do some more um, some more finagling on the bitrate, uh, perhaps, because it looks like I'm getting an error message here. YouTube is not receiving enough video to maintain smooth streaming. You say it looks fine? Okay. All right. Well, we will take a look because Facebook is giving me a little bit of a of a wink and a nod here too. So, so six hour panel for Warner brothers, not very much news coming out of Sony. We did get some new creative teams announced for DC comics and I'm hoping to get someone on a little bit later on the week. So we could talk about that because there are some implications there, uh, going forward as to the future of DC comics. And this announcement that Warner Brothers is going to put their entire 2021 slate on HBO Max at the same time they drop on theaters, that's, <coughs> excuse me, that's going to be something worth discussing as well at length. Uh, but that story is still playing out. We're getting news reports and, and, uh, and alerts that Legendary and AMC Theaters are both not happy with the arrangement. And it could very well be that some of the other theater chains get involved with some of this. Legendary, we're hearing, may take legal action. So we'll, we're going to keep an eye on that. And I think it will be worth a discussion over on the H2O podcast. Tim and I could cover and talk about all of the implications of that. And, of course, any news items that crop up, uh, we will have those as well on uh, on Good Morning Multiverse Saturday. So... Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says just had a 10 second buffer, but it's okay now. All right, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I got a green light right now, but, um, who knows? We will see. We also got some behind the scenes footage for Batwoman, Javicia Leslie, uh, showing off her new costume and, uh, and some stunt work and, and such. But really the overall consensus seems to be that CCXP was a bust. A lot of people expressing disappointment. We didn't get Spider-Man 3 news. We didn't get any new trailers. I mean, we got the TV spot for Wonder Woman. And, but, but really, what else did we, did we get? Not much uh, to, to see the reactions to everything. A lot of people are sitting there going, well, what happened? I have, a, I have a theory what happened. I think that... In this uh, in this day and age now of uh, the the studios pushing the streaming, that the the implications of the of the lockdown of the pandemic and all of that that certainly does have an impact on a lot of these things. Even if you're going to have an event in person, live in a in a location, and you take all of the precautions that you possibly can you're still not going to get the kind of audience participation, the kind of attendance that you would normally expect at some of these. So it raises the question whether or not 
the bigger events, San Diego Comic-Con being one, New York Comic-Con being another, Dragon Con, uh, Fan X in Salt Lake, those bigger events, and uh, you see with, with Comic-Con experience in Sao Paulo, uh, are they on the way out? And it's, it's kind of an interesting parallel to watch the the impact on movie theater chains and the impact on the big events. Now, you look at back at, uh, at DC Fandome, uh, Warner Brothers putting all of that together to talk about all of their slate and everything that was coming up. And that, so far, seems to be uh, held up by a lot of people as the gold standard. It is the, this is how you do it right and DC Fandom was certainly impressive. It was a slick production. You had a lot of reveals. You had a lot of trailers. You had a lot of stuff. It was basically uh, what you would expect from Warner Brothers and, and DC Comics coming out of San Diego Comic-Con. And yet, San Diego Comic-Con was a bust. Comic-Con at home, they called it this year. And your, your participation... On that, uh, New York Comic Con, same kind of thing. The The view counts on the videos are not as high as you would expect for an event that big. Uh, so it's it has me wondering how these big events are going to continue because they're not going to... They're going to have to adjust. They're going to have to make some kind of an adjustment on how they operate. And as we've discussed with a number of people here, they need to have some kind of online virtual track. But at the same time, if you do that, you have to do something that is, one, that's worth watching. It's informative, it's entertaining, but it's also something that you're not going to get at the event. Or you get in addition to the event. It's supplemental to the event. But it's also it also has to be satisfying enough for the people who can't attend the event that it's worth the time to invest watching and or listening or whatever it is that they put together. So it it seems to me that that there are still a number of events that have a lot to learn with regard to this. You can't just sit there and go, "Hey, we're going to go virtual," because it's not that easy. Having done it, having put in the time and having put together all of the resources and the equipment and the tech and the and the people in order to do it, I can't say uh, with some with some authority that it it is not an easy thing to do. People, you know, it, it was it's like the proliferation of of uh, home video software editing uh, or video editing software. You know, it it dem democratized video production so that anybody could do it, and the the beauty of it was anybody could do it. the The bad part of it was anybody could do it, and you have this reduction in quality in a number of video productions. And, you know, and there are still people that are trying to figure this stuff out. People who are deciding, well, I'm, I'm just going to do this. And 
they either don't have the knowledge, they don't have the know-how, they don't have the experience, they don't have the background, which is fine. I mean, anybody can get a camera and a microphone, and if you got the internet connection, you can you can set up a channel. There's there's nothing wrong with that, and some people do really well with that, having no experience at all in the in the field. Um, I sometimes question whether or not my 32 years experience is perhaps a, an obstacle uh, because I have a certain set of rules and expectations and standards and best practices and things that I've grown up with in terms of this is how this is how you do things and so you know I have found a few times where I've needed to adjust my thinking because, you know, there's there's a very real possibility that I'm a dinosaur with all of this. Because what I do, what we do here in, in terms of this channel is a lot more, dare I say, old-fashioned, old-school. Uh, we're not... We're not clickbait, rage bait, angry YouTuber, hate everything, criticize everything, whatever. We're kind of a hybrid. And my approach has been to uh, look at this as a TV channel, not a YouTube channel, not some, you know, we're not, it's a mindset. And if I'm, if I'm speaking out loud about it, my approach has been to to treat this just like a regular TV station, network affiliate, whatnot, and and apply those same practices and principles in what we do, what we uh, what we produce, all of the shows that we do. That's why Good Morning Multiverse looks like a newscast, is because it's a newscast. Uh, it's not just me sitting there going, "Well, here's what happened, and now here's what I think about it." We we keep all of our news stuff separate from our opinion stuff. You know, there there are there are structures in place that are perhaps maybe a little old fashioned, uh, but they work uh, to a point. Uh, I I say they work. I mean, it would be nice if we had fifteen thousand subscribers who agreed that it worked rather than fifteen hundred. But you know, there are a lot of people who watch our videos that are not subscribers, and that's perfectly fine. And we show up in search results and we show up and say because we're not poking the bear, I guess you could say. I certainly have opinions on certain things. Various different people here on staff have opinions that differ from mine. So we're a good mix and I think that helps bring balance to our content. But again, our event coverage is something that you know whether we have we're, you know whether I've got thirty years experience or not, or you got these these people that are on our staff that are that are novices. You've got people that are out there that have just started doing this. The approach has to be such that you have to deliver value in. The content you create, you have to create something that's worth the time investment for people to sit and watch your videos or listen to your uh, listen to the podcast or whatnot. And I think a lot of these 
a lot of these media companies, these big corporations, might possibly be in the same boat that I'm in in terms of the mindset because it has to be just so the way we've always done it for 30 years. And this, I don't want to, to sound trite, this new reality, this new normal, you have to start thinking outside the box. And I'm not sure that... I'm not sure that some of these events are quite prepared to do that yet. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, um, no problem with the way you run things, but I think the big draw of YouTube is audience interaction. This is the main advantage YouTube has over TV. And I would agree with that. Uh, I think the the live chat option that, that YouTube affords us uh, with these with these broadcasts, that is a valuable piece of this because we can have that conversation that you know that back and forth that interaction um and speaking of which i didn't i didn't go through this at the beginning i didn't do my usual spiel the live chat is open and if you've got comments that you want to share with us you can either do it there or or if you're watching or listening in replay mode uh, you can leave a comment or you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com but the this this notion that the big events might not be so big because DC Warner Brothers didn't do very much at Comic-Con at home. And we've talked about this uh, before in passing where D23 decides, you know, or Disney rather decides that they're going to do D23 rather than doing San Diego. And I think that you're going to start seeing a DC fandom might be an indicator there in terms of Warner Brothers they might be the next one where they have their own D23 type of event. Maybe DC Fandom was the beginning of that. Uh, and I think New York, San Diego, Salt Lake, uh, some of the bigger events, Dallas, might suffer for that. Because if if the Hollywood machine figures it out, and I don't know that they have yet, I don't know that they will anytime soon, but if the Hollywood machine figures it out, then they don't need to have a big presence at the major Comic-Cons. They can have a space, and that can be their, their public-facing space for autographs and merch and all sorts of tchotchkes and you know the marketing aspects of things and if people are there to sign autographs you've got space for that and all of that but in terms of the big media hype the big media push where we release the trailers on that because the trailers come out on youtube and all the social media not too too long afterwards so there's nothing that says that they can't just bypass the 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 comic cons altogether I don't think they'll do that. They won't go that far. But there's nothing that says the studios have to release any new things or make these big announcements at the Comic-Cons. In this day and age where everything is digital and everything's on social media and everything's online and everybody's got their own channels, and this is true for the studios too. The studios all have their own channels. The TV networks all have their own channels. The cable networks have their own channels. There's nothing that says you've got to make the big announcements at the events. So it it becomes necessary then to figure out how you how you make the bigger conventions any convention big or small how you make them 
how you keep them relevant in this day and age, especially when you have the question of how many people are actually going to be willing to go back into events, to, to big convention spaces where there are going to be thousands of people, uh, because right now the media has played up the fear and anxiety and paranoia uh, surrounding COVID. And, and to be clear, I know that COVID-19 is real. It is a real thing. My parents both got diagnosed with it and they're doing fine. You know, my sister's a nurse. She's experienced, you know, she's, she's dealt with patients that have had this thing. It is a very real thing. I understand that. But I also think that it's being overplayed in the media. That's my personal opinion. And you don't necessarily have to agree with it. You don't have to disagree with it. You have your own things. But I think that the, the, the excuse, the pandemic, the lockdown, the fear, the paranoia, I'm going to get sick, I'm going to die because I've gone into a crowd. That fear is real for a lot of people. And it's going to have a practical impact on events, whether it's comic cons or film festivals or book conventions, or any, you know, library conventions or big, any kind of big to do about anything. And <coughs> excuse me, and for all of the for all of the talk back and forth about about COVID being a, one of the reasons why Warner Brothers has just decided to do this HBO Max thing. Um. I gotta say, I'm I'm partial to agreeing with uh, with some of the pundits out there uh, who've basically said this is not anything having to do with COVID. This is uh, Jason Kalar and AT and T and Time Warner sitting there saying, "How do we bump up our subscriber count on HBO Max? Because HBO Max is not performing, according to some reports." It is allegedly not performing up to snuff uh, what Warner Media's uh, uh, expectations are. So, what, you have a hand. As a person who, has uh, you, if you're gonna, if you, you've got a microphone there. <coughs> that's what the microphone is there for. Am I on? Yes. Well, I'm just gonna say, yeah, they're. For what you get with all the different streaming services, and we have several different streaming services here, and we happen to fall with HBO Max in our lap for a very well reasonable price, given what the quality of what you're getting on there is, because they have the HBO stuff that has all the, you know, Game of Thrones, stuff like that, but it also t puts in there the time... Uh, Turner Classics channel or, you know, one of the, that part. Well, and the, that well, see, is worth is, more though, than what HBO Max has for the HBO part. Yeah, but HBO Max, the problem with HBO Max, and I've seen this pointed out in a couple of other places, because Disney Plus, when they launched, Disney Plus had The Mandalorian. Disney Plus, when they launched, they had The Mandalorian, and that was their bread and butter. That's how you get people to sign up. You've got this giant event thing that everybody's looking forward to. And the speculation was that the Snyder Cut Justice League was going to do that same thing for HBO Max. However, HBO Max rolled out before they've got anything original that they can, that they can put into this stuff. 
They don't have the Snyder Cut yet. And you're you're an also ran at this point because HBO Max doesn't have a bunch of original stuff. You got DC Universe that's got all the DC comic stuff. You have HBO Go, you've got HBO, you have all of these other channels that have subscribers already. All of that if you're if you're if you're thinking it through Take all of that and why not combine them into a new service that has all of those things. And so now you have these people that are all subscribers and you blend them and mix them and say, okay, all of these channels are now going to be this channel because DC Universe is going away. It's going to become this new online comic literary thing. And so we're not going to get... DC Universe as a home for shows like Titan, uh, or Titans, rather, or or the animated Harley Quinn. All of that stuff's going to HBO Max. So the the push, the what I'm seeing from a from from various places is that there is such a desperate push for HBO Max subscriber numbers to get up, boost. Get them. You know, we need more subscribers in order for this thing to be sustainable. And if HBO Max is running a distant third or fourth or fifth, because you've got Netflix has already got an established subscriber base. You've got Hulu. You've got you know now Disney Plus is just has has gone bonkers with things. And then you've got everybody else having their own streaming services, CBS All Access and all these other things. The comparison has been that HBO Max's numbers have not been any better than CBS All Access. You've got a major movie studio behind this thing. And CBS All Access, those subscriber numbers aren't really a lot to write home about. And so they're, they're trying to figure out how do we get more people to sign up for HBO Max? Well, we use the the pandemic as an excuse, but then we sit there and say, okay, we're going to put all of these new movies in the theater, but also HBO Max. And so now you ha- you're disincentivizing the audience for the theaters. You're telling them, you know, why go to the theater? You can just have it on HBO Max because it's not going to be an additional fee for any of those. They learn they learned from the Mulan mishap. <coughs> so they're not going to get uh, Wonder Woman 1984 on HBO Max at a premium. It's just going to be included as part of the package for your subscription to HBO Max. Same with Dune. Same with Tron. Uh, uh, Tron, The Matrix 4, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, all of these movies are just going to be included. And you're not paying extra for any of them. So why even bother going to the movie theater? Because you're out the time and the travel, you've got to buy the tickets, and if you get concessions, if they're selling concessions... And you got to worry about social distancing. You got to wear a mask. It's just easier just to stay at home and watch. And that's what they're counting on. They are counting on people to be so afraid and paranoid, or they're they're banking on people who are just not going to deal with the inconvenience of it all, 
And those are going to be the people that sign up for HBO Max so they can watch Wonder Woman 84 at home. They can watch Dune at home. And then they release all of the movies on HBO Max so you keep your subscription to HBO Max. It's not a one-and-done thing because, as we saw with Disney+, Plus with Mulan, <coughs> they release Mulan as a premium which means you got to spend extra money. You have to subscribe to H, uh, subscribe to Disney Plus, then you have to pay extra money to watch Mulan, which it eventually is going to be included on on Disney Plus anyway, because that's how all of this stuff does. You've got the release windows for the various different places where it's going to be exhibited, and screen, you know theaters are part of that. But it's just like with cable, when, you know, in the early days of cable, especially if you've got if you're paying for a premium channel like HBO or Showtime or Cinemax or wherever. Back in those days, you know, I I could go see it in the movies theaters. But if I miss it in the movie theater, I know eventually it's going to be on broadcast network. Eventually, it's going to be on cable. I'll be able to see it somewhere, and they're counting on that and saying, okay. You just watch it at home, and they're not going to charge a premium. It's like like Sci-Fi Snob says, AT and T should give their subs away like Disney. That it it's kind of the same kind of it's it's a similar type of mindset, I think, where they're sitting there saying, okay, we're not going to charge extra for these movies, but we're going to give you all of these movies as part of your subscription to HBO Max. But you have to be subscribed to HBO Max throughout the entire year in order to get all of these movies. That's from a business standpoint, I can understand why they do that. That's that's rather smart. Because at the end of all of this, you know, if you if you look at the final analysis of all of this, Time Warner, Warner Media, AT&T, they have to make money. They have to make money for their shareholders, they have to make a profit, they have to be able to to show that they are still successful in all of this that's going on. So I can see from their standpoint, but at the same time, you 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 know, the flip side of that coin is the damage that's going to be done to the movie theaters. Honestly, I don't know that the the big movie chains are going to survive this. Matuine is especially yes, uh, and welcome to the chat, Matuine and Robert. Uh, Matuine, keep dangling the carrot through 2021. They'll stay subscribed. I think that's. I think they're counting on that. I think they're sitting there going, you know, Mulan was a one and done deal, and uh, uh, Tom over at Midnight's Edge says that they're uh, apparently right after this announcement from Warner Brothers about the slate, the 2021 slate going to HBO Max. Apparently there was an emergency meeting of Disney executives with regard to Disney+. Plus, So he's making the prediction, and I agree with him. I think we'll see in the next few days an announcement that will get um, Black Widow and maybe the Eternals straight to Disney+. Plus, And maybe they do the same kind of thing. Maybe they do day and date. They do the same... You know, roll out the the theaters and streaming at the same time, the way they did with Mulan, and not charge a premium. 
But what is this going to do to movie theaters? Because movie theaters don't make all of their money on the ticket sales. Depending on how those things are structured, you're probably looking at 60, you know, 50 to 70% of the gate, the ticket sales themselves, that goes back to the studios. Goes back to, you know, the, the people what made the movie. And the theaters make most of their money off of concessions. And if nobody's there buying popcorn and Cokes and Twizzlers and Milk Duds and whatnot then the theaters, the theater chains don't make any money. And you can see the parallel here because the studios are deciding to do their own thing. The theaters are going to fall by the wayside. The studios are deciding to do their own thing. The Comic-Cons are going to fall by the wayside. So, I, and I agree with it's not. Movie theaters are not going to die. But I think the movie theater chains are going to be severely impacted by this. I think the individual independent movie theaters are going to come out of this a little bit better than the than the corporate chains do. That's a personal theory. But I think that the independent the independent theaters have a have more flexibility, have more of an ability to pivot than the theater chains do. You see now with the theater chains saying, okay, for $99, you can book the entire theater. That is not going to sell enough to, to, make, to make it a sustainable thing. But I think when you have the movie theaters, like Disney decides to do its own Comic-Con with D23, and you have Time Warner, Warner, I keep saying Time Warner, Warner Media doing the same kind of thing for DC Fandom. And I think DC Fandom is not going to be a one-shot. I think they've seen the success of it. I think they they did a Comic-Con online better than anybody else. And I think that's going to be the standard for measure uh, going forward. A lot of people are going to sit and point at DC Fandom and say, that's how you do it. But I think you could also point to our coverage of Worldcon and point to that as another way to do it. And if you combine the two, gangbusters. Because I think if you have an online presence, if you have, you know, the 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 online track, the virtual track for events, it's got to be something that is different enough from what you're doing in person and yet at the same time has value in and of itself so that it supplements the value for the event. So even with people going to the event, this online content would be something that you could watch whether you were at the event or not. This is something new, and that adds value to the overall experience for people who are either attending or staying at home. They still get this piece. And for us, you know, having a booth and doing the interviews and doing all of that kind of thing, that's one element of it. And we've also had some success just walking around the floor of the event like we did at Star Wars Celebration, like we did at, uh, at San Diego, or not San Diego, at Chicago, at C2E2. 
that experience adds value. That that is something where people sit there and say, "Well, it's almost like I'm there," and that that means a lot to us because it says we're doing something right. That people uh, enjoy what we're doing, they appreciate what we're doing at the events, and I think we can do more of that. But the newest thing that we're going to have to overcome is a, going back to this democratization. You know, the beauty of it is anybody can do it. The The danger of it, the hassle of it, is that anybody can do it. Because you're going to get people who have no experience, and they're just going to do fly-by-night. They're going to make it up as they go. <clears throat> they're going to pants it, you know, flying by the seat of their pants. And some of them are going to be good. Most of them are not going to be good. So it's it's a question of how much talent and skill the organizers have with regard to producing online content in connection with their events. And some of them are going to do fine. Some of them won't. And it really surprised me that Comic-Con at home, San Diego's outfit, didn't do as well. Um, it, it, it surprised me that New York Comic-Con has not done well. Uh, Dragon Con impressed me with how, what, their setup. They had three different tracks that were going on. The video, the, the live stuff that was going on then. And then they had a retrospective history channel where they were just knocking out video from past events all weekend and then they had another uh pre-recorded panel type of thing for specific topics and themes uh Mantuine, can students maintain uh, students i haven't had that much coffee Mantuin asks in the chat can studios maintain good profits via direct to consumer especially with 300 million dollar movie production costs i don't think they can but Having said that, stop and consider that if they go direct to consumer, direct to home video, and they bypass movie theaters, and and I don't think we're there yet. I, I, I agree with Stop. Movie theaters are not going to die. You are going to get theatrical theatrical releases. But if the movie theaters go direct to consumer... That's a digital file. They're not having to deliver prints to, you know, well, I'm going to take that back because a lot of the movie theaters now being digital projection systems, you don't have as much expense with prints to begin with. It's not like the old days where every movie theater got, you know, a 35 millimeter reel of film or, or 70 millimeter reel of film. Those days are essentially over, but there are still some theaters out there that would require a film print. And I think that is an expense that the studios might be looking to eliminate altogether. But if they go directly to, uh, directly to it, uh, directly to consumers, they're going to cut down some expenses on on some things, but then you increase your expenses on another because you got to maintain all of that in terms of bandwidth and the delivery and making sure that people can access it properly. And we've we're hearing already that you know Warner Brothers is sitting there going, how do we roll out HBO Max as quickly as possible internationally? 
because it's not available internationally yet. And they're going to start opening up territories as quickly as they can, the goal being that HBO Max is available worldwide by the end of 2021. So that's going to have an impact as well, because there are some places you're not going to be able to get HBO Max and watch these movies at home, but maybe soon. Uh, Sci-Fi Style, remember half the cost of a movie is, is promotion. You need to spend $300 million, spend $150 million. That's right. You, uh, the, general, the general rule of thumb is that the marketing budget for a film is almost or more than what was spent on the actual production of a film. Uh, I was reading over the weekend, there's a, a series of books called These Are the Voyages by Mark Cushman that talks about the production of Star Trek. And the latest volume covers uh, Star Trek, the motion picture. And it's a, it's, it ended up, because what they ended up doing is they rolled in the development production costs of Star Trek Phase 2, which was the, the proposed TV series. Star Trek, the motion picture, went through a very convoluted development. You had... All of the all of the merchandising and the conventions, I mean, the conventions sprung up around Star Trek as far as the pop culture conventions. We had the literary conventions like Worldcon and such, but the pop culture conventions like Comic-Con, San Diego, you know, New York Comic-Con, you know, Star Trek really was on the forefront of a lot of that. And, you know, in the, t you know, in the, in the years of the, the animated uh, series and then you had a lot of books and comic books and merchandise and all this other stuff then you know Star Trek becomes this phenomenon and Paramount uh, what are we going to do you know they're all of the executives at Paramount are trying to trying to wrap their heads around this thing called Star Trek none of them understand it it's very clear from these books you you think about Star Trek as it is now and I know there are criticisms, people sitting there going that the people making new Star Trek don't understand Star Trek. But I can say from reading Cushman's work behind the scenes, Paramount has never understood Star Trek. I can say that pretty definitively because it's demonstrated in this in this this series of stories, you know, this series of, of accounts about the development of Star Trek Phase 2 going into Star Trek the motion picture, Paramount didn't know what they have. They still don't. <clears throat> but having said all of that, in terms of the cost, one of the reasons why Star Trek the motion picture was so expensive, it ended up being a $42 million movie, but that $42 million included some 20-some-odd million in the development costs for Phase 2. Because the sets that you see built in Star Trek The Motion Picture are not the sets that were built for Star Trek Phase 2. Phase 2 had their own sets that were built. And costumes were getting designed and all this other stuff and all of these expenses to, to lock the actors in place and get everybody ready. And Paramount was working on this Paramount television service, this fourth network, as far back as the early 70s. And they had... Uh, a number of TV stations across the country that were pre-committed, pre-sold, there was money on the table, all of these promises made and all of this stuff, and, and the whole thing kind of fell apart uh, 
And Paramount, at one point, decided, okay, well, Star Trek's going to be a movie. And then it was going to be a series again. And then it was going to be a set of TV movies. And then it was going to be series again. Then maybe it was going to be theatrical going to a TV. I mean, they never could decide what they were going to do until they finally decided, well, let's just make it a movie. Because Star Wars came out. It was a huge success. And they're sitting there going, well, what do we got? But the expense is such that I think if if the studios go with the whole direct-to-streaming thing, I am reasonably going to guess that the budgets for these films are going to go down. And I think your multi-hundred million dollar f- pictures your blockbusters, as they were, those are going to be the ones that get more play in the theaters. And maybe if a lot of the smaller budget content is going direct to HBO Max, then maybe the release windows change so that your big blockbuster movies, like an Avengers type of thing, or you know, let's make a $400 million War of the Worlds or whatnot, they stay in the theaters longer in order to make their money back. And at that point, then, it becomes more attractive, finally, when it goes to home home theater. <coughs> and by home theater, I mean direct streaming or premium video on demand or home video, DVD, VHS, Blu-ray, whatever. And I think, I think VHS is going to come back. I'm going to make a prediction now. I think VHS is going to come back. Because vinyls come back. You got these people out there that are so big on everything being retro. I think VHS is going to come back as well. <clears throat> Maybe. Uh, I, think, I think the subscription... Well, see, the other thing, too, is that the subscription revenue... Uh, you, you mentioned that. You know, Matuin mentions that in the chat. The subscription revenue goes to a different division. I mean, HBO Max is a different division than Warner Brothers. I mean, it all it all eventually goes into the same bank accounts, ish. You know, it's it's all still AT and T, Warner Media. But as we've seen in the past, uh, Hollywood accounting being what it is, you could have all of this money rolling in from HBO Max subscriptions. And the movie itself could still be considered a bust because it never makes mo- it never makes a profit, quote unquote, so called. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of things still to figure out and to keep an eye on here because I don't know that you're going to have a one size fits all solution. And I think the longer we go on this, I think that the the movie theaters are going to have to figure out what they're going to do. And then you have, like uh, in the case of Legendary, Legendary is a co-finance production company. You know, they have the they have these deals in place, they make these movies, and Warner Brothers distributes them. But if Warner Brothers is going to arbitrarily decide what their distribution plan is without consulting with their finance partners, like Legendary, apparently Legendary is planning on taking some legal action on this. 
and you have the movie theaters are probably going to have some kind of response as well. I mean, we saw this earlier this year between, I think, Cinemark, uh, Cinemark and Universal, where Cinemark was basically saying, we're not going to take any Universal pictures if they're going to do this kind of a thing. I think that was over Bill and Ted. I'm not sure. But there was there was something that came out earlier this year. I want to say it was Bill and Ted, but I'm not I don't I can't I can't swear to that. But this idea here that the movie studios can just roll over and just do whatever they want, that's going to come back to bite them as well because like we're seeing with the lockdowns and the arbitrary shutdowns and you can be open but you can't, you're going to start seeing a lot of pushback. Because people are going to start digging into the reasoning behind such decisions. And they're going to say, this doesn't make sense. This does. This is arbitrary. This isn't. And there's no reason to do X instead of Z. I'm not going to follow your decision. I'm going to do my own thing. And I think some of the studios are going to get pushback from the movie theaters. Uh, and and we could st- start seeing some of that now with this decision because I hear AT&T is not happy, or not AT&T, AMC is not happy with this as well. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's early and I know I don't have the sources inside the studios and inside the movie theater chains to tell me definitively what they want to do. I would very much like to have some insiders. Hint, hint. We have some email addresses for that if anybody wants to share stuff with us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Matt Wayne, more studios could use technology like Mandalorian's volume could cut the cost. It could possibly... Uh, I mean, you certainly don't have the travel and the location costs as much. However, uh, you do need to have uh, the the production expense of shooting the background plates. Because if anybody goes and shoots on location, just even if it's just for the background that we see on the wall... Uh, that's still an expense. So it's it's a trade-off, anything, anything that they do. Uh, but I certainly think that the volume, that kind of technology using the, the game engines and stuff, I think that's a game-changer, uh, for lack of a better word. It is a paradigm shift uh, for the production houses, for the studios. So that continues to play out. I know they're building another one in Spain. So there will be studios in Europe that will have access to that one. Uh, and I think the success of it in Mandalorian, I think we're also going to see it used in Kenobi. Uh, but the success of that will be such that you're going to start seeing these things crop up in a number of places. I, I would not be surprised to find more than one in places like Romania, Czech, uh, you know, the Czech Republic, um, uh, and that that neck of the woods because there are a lot of productions that go over there uh, because the, the expense is less. Uh, I expect that we'll probably see one or two of them crop up in New Zealand. And maybe at some point it'll be used in connection with the Lord of the Rings series. Who knows? I don't know. It's, it's <coughs> excuse me. It's just a, a, an interesting, <clears throat> it's an interesting time to be alive, Right. Uh, what this 
what this means for Comic-Cons. I think the big Comic-Cons are done. I think the Comic-Cons that survive are going to be the ones that figure out how to pivot to a virtual experience of some sort, similar to what DC Fandom did, in connection to whatever they do on site. And I will say this till I'm blue in the face. I think that what we did, what we have done in the past, is something that should be incorporated into a lot of these events. And we stand ready to assist any events that would like to have us come in and help. Just putting that out there in the universe to see what happens. So, anyway, all right, that's going to do it for us today. We're going to wrap up. And uh, if you have uh, thoughts on this or any other topic that we discussed, you can certainly send those to us either in a comment here on the videos uh, or a comment on the podcast, or you can send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for me.com. If you have material you would like for us to review, our mailing address, if you're sending us a physical copy of something, a book or a DVD or something, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And I am told from a professor that I had in, in college, it is Missouri, not Missouri. Take that for what it's worth. Uh, uh, Snob, uh, the rumors that I would like are, are rumors that I would that I could actually report and be right on and maybe scoop some people. I don't know. That seems to be a thing. I was right. I scooped this. I had this before anybody else. That's, you know, <clears throat> I mean, not to get too much into the Andy Signor, Grace Randolph feuds that are going on right now. I just, you know, eh. <clears throat> uh, we actually, uh, Snob, we have actually reached out to a number of uh, convention organizers, uh, we've talked. We've had conversations with Reed Pop. We've had conversations with Creation. Uh, we have uh, we have offered to uh, to discuss what we could do. Um, but I I think they're big enough. And and actually, Reed Pop had an had an agreement with Sci-Fi for a while. They were doing their Sci-Fi Wire stage. Uh, for a few different events, New York Comic Con being one of them, uh, but that seems to have gone by the wayside. So I don't know if Reed Pop is doing uh, a lot on their own uh, or what. But yeah, we are having conversations. We you know we occasionally will have the back and forth emails uh, with some different organizers. I would I would like to have a regular ish relationship with Worldcon. With some of the other award events, like uh, <clears throat> like the World Fantasy Awards and the World, you know, the horror, the Bram Stoker Awards, we've had those initial conversations back and forth, uh, and things were starting to percolate a little bit on some of those when everything got shut down. So I'm hoping that at some point, when things start to open back up again, we can start having those conversations again. I know we are having uh, we are having discussions with smaller events as well to do that same kind of thing. So hopefully we'll be able to do that once everything everything rolls back around. I, I definitely would like to get back to TopCon in Topeka. It looks like we're going to be be there next year. Uh, Smallville is always an option. Uh, da- some stuff down in Dallas will be a possibility. I'd, and of course, we'll, we'll probably be able to get back to C2E2. A lot of this, though, <clears throat> just to be... 
just to just to be a little bit greedy and, and shilly for a minute, a lot of this depends on having the money and the time, the resources to do it. Uh, because, you know, us being all volunteers, uh, it is a challenge for us to go through the expense and, you know, take the time off from our jobs and all that other stuff to go to these events. And for some of us, it's easier than others. But if we had uh, if we had support and not necessarily I'm not going to sit there and beg for super chats or anything like that. But we do have a PayPal account. We do have a Subscribestar account. And if we're able to get those kinds of uh, those kind of resources assembled for us to go to events, I think it's going to be a lot easier to try to manage that. But it's something that we definitely want to do. Uh, we do want to do more of it. So we'll see. And, and, you know, that whole vaccination thing, that could have an impact as well, because if we're required to have that before we can do anything else, uh, for some for some people, that's going to present a problem. So we'll see. Um, yeah, and Snob, I agree with you. You know, tons of people, even, you know, whether it's affording to travel to Comic-Cons or or just avoiding the crowds, you know, whatever the reason is that you can't or won't go to an event. I, I agree. I think that having a virtual experience of some sort uh, is going to be a necessary component. It's not it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be the main priority, uh, but certainly give you a sense of what's going on at the event. I think there is value to that. And that's that's been my pitch uh, from the beginning. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. I didn't get to bed till four o'clock last night, so I'm I'm a little ragged. So that's going to do it for us today. I'm going to cut it off there before I lose my voice entirely. Don't forget tonight <coughs> we've got a brand new H H two O podcast. Uh, that's not the right card. That was for last week's um, <coughs> tonight episode two hundred and forty eight. We're going to be talking about typecasting, uh, miscasts, fan casts, uh, recasts. So we're going to be talking about some casting decisions. And we're going to keep an eye on what's going on with the whole uh, Warner Media and uh, their their decision with the HBO Max thing. And we might be talking about that next week. So tune in for that, to that conversation tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, live right here. We are getting very much closer to uh, to a milestone event on H2O. Episode 250 is right around the corner, and it is, uh, it is coming at the same time as another milestone for that show. So we want you to, to tune into that. That's going to be December 21st is episode 250. We've got a brand new Salacious Crumbs tomorrow night with the uh, latest from the Star Wars universe. It's going to be on at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central uh, here on Sci-Fi for Me. And uh, then, of course, on Ranker Pit on Friday, we'll probably be talking about the latest episode of The Mandalorian. That's going to do it here for us today. Thanks very much for watching. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, leave us feedback and uh, <clears throat> thumbs up on the way out. Feel free to share. If you are not subscribed already, uh, you are invited to do that. And we'll be back with more tomorrow. Thanks. 
This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.